Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and well, a little bit of entertainment. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we get the chance to welcome Chip Israel back for a second episode on our podcast. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the first one, make sure you check that out. You don't have to do it now, but you can do it after you listen to this one. Today, we're here to talk to Chip about the design process, how it's evolved, and how translating design into something that's actually purchased has become a little bit of a challenge. Chip, it's good to see you again. How are you doing? I'm fine. Nice to see you. Let's chat a little bit about that design process that we talked about in in our first episode of one piece of vellum, and it got designed once and probably priced and built the way you wanted it to. Walk me through what it was like 20 years ago. In the old days, no, it was pretty much straightforward. Um, There were still always multiple fixture options. And actually back then we even had to select the light sources between all these old legacy light sources where now it's all LEDs and maybe a little bit more smoke and mirrors because when they first came out, the LEDs that is, that there was a lot of unknowns about them. And the best news is in the last five or 10 years, it's kind of settled down. We know that we can dim them pretty um, stably. We know that the colors are gonna be better. Now everybody knows what R9 is after we taught them what CRI was. R9, right? It's what what a pirate does. Um, And it's all good, Um, but we need to design to a budget. And that's what's really important. I think a, a designer should, one of the first thing, not only should be about what does the client expect from their lighting system, but also what is the lighting budget? Not the electrical budget, but what is the lighting budget? And is that the installed cost? or is that just the fixture cost? And once you have that budget, you can tune your lighting designs to meet that. You could put in one $1,000 chandelier in the middle, or you could put 10 $100 down lights around the perimeter. That's your choice as a designer. In the previous podcast, we talked about the evolution of the design process, that single sheet of vellum to AutoCAD, now to perhaps BIM 360 or Revit type of programs. In this time frame, the lighting distribution system hasn't evolved. In fact, we're still selling light fixtures the same way we did, not only before the internet, but as long as time goes on. And right now, you can find the price of anything. You can find the price of a new car, a cubic yard of concrete. You can find everything except for the price of a light fixture. And we have a distribution system that in my belief is broken. Currently there's lawsuits between reps. There's lawsuits between manufacturers and reps. We have a lighting system that in my opinion is broken and we'll go through the historic chain. A design team would create a design specification. It would go to a distributor. And back in those days, the distributors, acted as the bank for the manufacturer, but they also coordinated the order, okay? And there's a lot of great distributors out there that have been around for a long time. Because just to clarify, distributors aren't just distributing lighting. It's several systems, typically electrical systems in the building, like pipe and wire, the gear, so on and so forth. 
Right. Um, for sure. And thanks for the clarification. And then we created manufacturers reps and this allowed the manufacturers of products to cover wider areas. So rather than having one of their own salesmen in every city, they would hire these agents that would represent them and that would educate the specifiers and help coordinate the orders that would come in or the bids that would come in. And then over time, two things happened. One is the distributors got lazy. They did less and less. They stopped stocking product the way they used to. They even stopped counting the light fixtures. They gave it over to the reps. And then all of a sudden the reps power became more and more powerful. Okay. They became super reps. And some of these reps now rep over 150 lines. So we now have the problem of very few people, maybe three to four super reps in a major city that are controlling the market and they put together packaging pricing. So unless you're a large scale specifier, many times when you try to get a price, all you get is a lump sum number. All of your fixtures, maybe even your controls lumped together and they say it's X amount of dollars. Well, the problem is you don't know what is a fair price and what is a different price because it's all part of that. And the problem with this system is it's not fair to the end users. Okay. And I think that's something that's super important to dive a little bit deeper on because if a rep has 150 manufacturers, they've probably got a lot of good options. And if everything fits within the budget, there may be some argument to say, well, hey, we've, we've got you covered. But ultimately, at the end of the day, there's something else going on here. We're not just specifying fixtures. There's a design process involved. And, and talk to me just a little bit about why, even though there may be options, you need all the options. And that needs to be presented in a fair way to the end user. And I would say in fairness to a distributor or even to a rep, they don't know the design of the project. All they get is usually a set of plans with a bunch of dots on them and a bunch of fixture callouts. They don't know what the fixtures are really doing, or many times they just get a quantity count and a fixture schedule. Once again, they may not know if the product goes in a 30 foot high ceiling or a nine foot ceiling, but they're told to price the, the package. Okay, and then many times they're said, well, this job is having problems. Okay, the concrete costs more than we thought. We got an embargo on steel. Now, all of a sudden, when the owner says, I want to save some money on the job, can we value engineer? In fact, there's a plaque on our wall here in our office that says value engineering is neither. The bottom line, it's not a value and it's really not engineering. But as this whole VE program basically in the last 20 years grew and grew, it's now created a consistent element. Many times, and it's well-documented that the electrical contractors intentionally underbid the jobs. They say this is the only way they're gonna be competitive to get it. And then they know that they can substitute the light fixtures and keep the difference. In other words, charge the client for the specified fixture, provide one perhaps of lesser quality, but one of definitely lesser price. And then they keep the differential. That's how they're actually creating their profit on these jobs. Well, the problem is it's not really fair to the end users, the people that are ultimately paying these bills. And why isn't it fair to those people? 
Well, I don't believe it's fair because a lot of these are relationship based. For example, the contractor perhaps always buys his jobs from the same distributor. What if that distributor doesn't sell the vendor that you want? Many times they won't change the distributor. They'll say, I always buy from this distributor. Therefore, even though you want product X, I'm going to give you Y and that's it. Well, our client may want X. They don't want Y. And I get the owners of major lighting manufacturers. These are established brands that have been around for 40 years, the high spec brands. And they literally are calling me up, some of them in tears. And they said, what's going on? My own reps are substituting my own projects. In other words, they're taking away the specs that they're paying them to do. They get the job and then the rep isn't giving that manufacturer the, the actual order. They're now putting in a cheaper fixture and they're substituting it. And someone along that train, many times the, the rep organization is keeping the difference. And what we are asking for is fairness. We don't care if there's markups, but I think that they should be fair and they should be, I'm going to call it open page or they should be um, transparent. And I understand that sometimes a rep may go above and beyond and require overage. Okay. But what I don't understand is how come some rep organizations and we've caught every major rep organization in LA charge a 300% overage. And then the client basically calls us in and says, why are you specifying a cylinder down light that costs a thousand dollars? We go to the owner and they say it's $300. Then the rep organization says, oh, we didn't realize it was your job. There's no, I'm going to call fair market um, competition because they're not going out on to all of the manufacturers or all of the reps to get competitive pricing on these jobs, or if they do, they're still not giving the clients what they're asking on these jobs. And I think the pendulum has shifted and it's going to take a major player to eliminate these or at least create an alternative distribution system. Yeah, it's, it sounds like what you've experienced here in Los Angeles, and I would assume that you're involved uh, around the country and even around the world as well, given the, the subset of projects that you guys have worked on. Lighting has always been there as a design element. And unfortunately, the value of lighting has been tied more to a dollar sign versus the benefit that can, it can add to the space. And there's a little bit of that in terms of people being able to capitalize on an opportunity to, to make money, but there's also a very fast paced environment that doesn't allow people to understand the intention of why a luminaire or a light fixture or a dot or a circle is on a job. Is, is there something that needs to be done to just better ed educate people on the fact that this isn't a dot, a circle and a number on a job? Or are those people aware of that and they're just taking advantage of something? Well. I think we need alternatives. I don't think we're going to change the system, but I can give you two analogies and I'll use brand names. You know, everyone used to make fun of a little company in the Middle West called R-U-U-D, Rudd or Rude Lighting. Okay, they made, I'm going to call it light commercial commodity grade products when they first came out. And you know what? You give them your credit card number, 
they send you some product. The company grew. And for our big conglomerates out there, our clients are tired of these pricing games. And a company like WAC, who was originally commodity grade, is now designing great products and will sell direct or through reps. They're the ones that are going to come on in using that business model. And I really think that it's about transparency. I've said that before. And when we get into pricing problems, we may recommend a third party distributor, an independent person that will provide what we want what the client is willing to pay in an open book basis. That's fair. But if the local distributors don't evolve, the reps don't evolve, I think that there's a great chance that they could be bypassed in the relatively near future. And are you seeing that from the standpoint that manufacturers may have a new opportunity because of technology and manufacturing capabilities and and creating that transparent pricing up front? Well, I think the biggest thing isn't manufacturing, it's the ability to do sales, education, and support. Okay, the reason that they originally needed these people is because they had to be in the field and they had to work with the specifiers to answer questions. Well, most of our reps don't answer the questions, they just call up the factories anyway, and then they relay the messages back to us. They used to do mock-ups. They used to be very involved in the original design and the execution of projects. Now they don't attend mock-ups. They may send you a light fixture, but you're on your own. You can't even get a cord and plug on a light fixture anymore. And then the other thing is that, you know, even some of the distributors aren't acting as the bank anymore. They're foreclosing. So the whole issue is why are we protecting this distribution system? I think there needs to be alternatives. And I hate to say technology, but in the form of the Internet is the greatest way. There's no reason why the manufacturers can't provide informative educational information provide accurate quotes, as well as provide the banking systems themselves. And I think we're just very short way away from that. Well, there's definitely an opportunity here, given what we've discussed today. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll dive into what a single line spec looks like from beginning to end, how it's priced, and maybe walk through how that could change. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, the LightPod is sponsored by LightEye, a new hub for ideas, education, and, well, a little bit of entertainment. We bring news and stories straight to you via quick two-minute videos or something that's maybe just a little bit longer. Check us out at www.lighteye.com. That's L-Y-T-E-I.com. And welcome back. We were just catching up with Chip a little bit about what the distribution system has always been in this industry and why it hasn't evolved. Chip, I think one thing that you were talking to us a little bit about was the fact that the distribution system, the people that supported the orders, they used to be involved and and they did a lot more or so it seems for you than then they may may be doing so today. What do you think could be done to help correct I think what we need is a communication, a dialogue between not only the designers 
and the distribution systems, but the end users. Because I hear multiple layers of frustrations. I hear it from our clients that are tired of this incessant games being played. And we have clients that are now demanding, for example, three different specs because they're tired of the substitution games or they may actually require three rep packages as part of the specification. So instead of spreading it over maybe five reps, it's three that can bid everything on the job. But then they also have the ability at bid date with the general contractor and the electrical contractor, they say provide one of these three. And at a recent submittal party where we sat down with the distributor, the local rep and the ownership, we went through fixture by fixture and all the fixtures were the same. And all of a sudden we came to a machined bullet light and they had a different fixture, a different manufacturer. And I tried to explain to the owner that, well, they're really the same thing. They're machined it, the same lamp, all of the stuff. And the owner stood up and he said, I'm sorry. He goes, we explained this in the beginning with the GC bid. We explained this with the electrical contractor, the sub consultant bids. And unfortunately, it's not fair to your competitors that bid this job per those rules. And you've now bid this with substitutions. So this is a two day submittal review. We will see you tomorrow. Please bring the specified package you're submitting for the price you've already offered. Well, that was excellent. The whole idea was gone in one day. We got the submittals, we got the approved fixtures, the client got a fair price to their, um, they got a fair price to their specified design and there was no games being paid. But the problem is there's too few owners that want to stand up at the beginning of the process and explain this system. And if everybody did it, then we might not be in the situation, but instead it's kind of the, the quiet mouse in the corner. Everybody knows that it's there and they know that it's going to come up, but the frustrations there are from the clients. And these are real stories that are coming from our clients. I also hear it from other designers. When you participate in say the IALD business owners forum, or you attend meetings with the LIRC lighting industry resource council, these are spec grade manufacturers that are equally frustrated. And I get calls from these same manufacturers of which rep should I use in your city? Or they even ask us about other territories. Who should I use? And the reality of us, it is currently a necessary evil or we hate them all, but we have to have somebody who should we have. And that's really unfortunate. I think that if we had smaller reps that had less competitive lines or overlapping type of lines, we would actually be getting better service to the owners and to the specifiers out there. It's really unfortunate that they cannot support all 150 lines that they do have. But all I hear is so much frustration that it's just a matter of time before it has to change. I was recently talking to a general contractor and he mentioned something along the lines of lighting's always got to give because it's the last thing that goes into the building. It's the last thing that's designed. 
You can't VE the concrete when the foundation's been poured. You can't VE the rebar when it's inside the concrete. What do you have to say to something like that? You know, he was almost indicating that lighting is an afterthought. Yeah, I've heard that and it's very frustrating. And I hear the same thing from the landscape side. Oh, we can always just plant smaller trees, but everybody wants major impact the day one. And sometimes we win those battles. Lighting is not a commodity. And unfortunately, as we get more and more giant super conglomerations that can control the market, they really just see it as a tool to provide access to technology and sealing real estate space, right? Why is the Cisco's of the world chasing the lighting industry? They couldn't care about lighting productivity, visual performance, user comfort or the health and welfare benefits of the clients. They just want to access information about those occupants within the space. So I think we have potential for great future for lighting, but we also have to protect that. And it really comes down to research and the funding of research, which is very, very important. And then the education, and that's not only of specifiers, but it's of the end users of the lighting systems. It's almost like everybody that's involved in the lighting process needs to continue to stay educated and fight for it because lighting is something that's important and it can add tremendous value to a space and people can all make their fair share along the way. But keeping it fair is what's important. Is it fair to say that there's maybe some short-term opportunity to make money, whereas if people thought more in the long run and uniting as a lighting community, regardless of your engagement in it, a contractor, a distributor, a rep, you would actually maybe grow your, your opportunity to be involved in projects and provide better value of lighting and better quality? Well, I don't know, because we always hear the things like, it's just fair market practice or there's antitrust, you know, the anti-monopoly type of issues of why we can't work together. And right now, I don't think anybody cares because the economy and especially the lighting economy is so busy. I hear from all the manufacturers, we're running at peak or we have record orders, but profitability is down, okay? And the margins are down on the actual projects themselves. And that's a result of maybe they are selling their products at a cheaper price just in order to get them onto the jobs or someone else is getting the markup on the jobs. And manufacturers are not totally um, innocent in this, you know, they may say we hate overage, it's costing us business, but they kind of condone it because they split it with the, the reps. So we have this one issue about, well, we hate it, but as long as I make some money off of it, they're all happy of it. And unfortunately, I think that the solution may come in a downturn in the economy. And that's where it's going to become much more competitive. And we saw this 10 years ago, you know, when there was a bad economy, the jobs that were being built were being built as very effectively as they could. And I think the developers took advantage of the architects, paid them less fees, and the architects took it to keep the doors open, but they kept asking for more and more, I'm gonna call it services. They want VR, they want fly-throughs, they want all this without raising the prices to these people. And the same thing is gonna happen on the light fixture side of things, that it's gonna become extremely competitive and the overages may go away and I don't think everybody will survive. And I think the people that provide great value will survive. The people that don't, why are they in that food chain? 
You know, think about what's gone away in our industry. This is replacing books, right? What we're doing right now. So think about the publishers and the printers. You're talking about podcasting. Yes. Yeah, it's replaced pod- books. Absolutely. Right. And so my whole point is everything is using technology to evolve. And I haven't seen the lighting distribution channel evolve. And I'm hoping that it does so that it doesn't get replaced with absolutely nothing. I mean, someday we may 3D print our lights in our own offices. Who knows? To your point, um, a system that hasn't evolved will at some point be overtaken, whether by it's a new system or the fact that the technology changes so much to the point where it doesn't need to be shipped and it can be printed on on the job site. Do you think that when you look at construction as a whole, this is a problem for several things that are being designed with and procured, or is it just lighting? I I think the construction industry is pretty archaic in general. I mean, if you think about it, we're building, the majority of our buildings, we build the same way we built almost a hundred years ago. Maybe they riveted buildings together and we use bolts now, but it's still basically the same way. It's steel girders and columns, or it's concrete with rebar. And until we really start to evolve how we do things from a structural standpoint, and when you have very progressive architects like Frank Geary or other people, you can start to see how the progressive architects and their three-dimensional designs, which couldn't be built under those old traditional methods, that's when we're starting to see evolution in the construction process. But I think we're way behind the times and what we have works or does it? Couldn't we do this a lot better, a lot more efficient, a lot less waste? Because especially in residential construction, I bet a quarter of the materials get thrown away because of the waste. The change moving forward, you said it could become evident as a recession. Is there anything else that you think might tick a change for lighting? Well, I'm hoping people do it for the right reasons, which is true sustainability. I mean, at the end of the day, we have one planet and we really have to start to um, reserve our resources or they're not going to be around for your kids when they're out there. And I think that that may do it. And that's where I'm hoping the next generation can influence change and we can start to get away from the waste and to create better systems and better spaces for the people. Because right now, the way we see developers is they do what they have to by code. And you can look at just the rise and fall of lead. Okay, it was great. Everybody wanted to do it. It was a marketing opportunity. Once a bunch of buildings had it, it wasn't a marketing opportunity. Now, very few of our projects want to have lead certification or now it may be well, or it may be one of the other ones, but that's not long-term. But if we really start to be progressive and get it adopted into codes, then it's something that will have to be enacted. Doing everything for the right reason is definitely something that is easier said than done, I think. But ultimately, we only have one planet. We only have one life. There's only one opportunity to establish and do things the way you choose to do it. There's a way that's been established with distribution and lighting and procurement that we've talked about. There's a way that we've built buildings and there's a way that people have maybe migrated from one 
period of time into another. Technology is here and it continues to take over and change industries rapidly. It's evident that it will happen to lighting. And I think one thing we might have to close with it is it's not going to just be pricing. It's not just going to be distribution. It's going to be lighting as an entity and lighting as a system and lighting as a technology as opposed to metal with lamps. Uniting people together is something that's super important with lighting and we need to do it. What's the best way to get more people on board with what lighting is and what it stands for? I think the only way we're going to do it is through some of the established channels. And I would really say get involved, whether it's your local IES chapter, whether it's the annual conferences, whether it's attending Light Fair. Problem is that we have to be seen as one voice, not a bunch of people complaining about a system. And together we have to create a solution that meets everybody's needs. And it has to be explained what the goals should be. And I think it's doable. And I'm hoping that the systems can be evolved so that we create, once again, fair markups for the amount of work that it's being done or create a new system that really creates the bond, the tie between manufacturers and end users. That's really what we need. And if we have the right system, great. If we need to manufacture or manipulate it, that's even better, so. Well, there you have it, folks. It's an interesting conversation, but one that people are often having these days. As technology evolves and lighting evolves, how do we make sure that we keep everything honest and fair through and through? Chip, thank you so much for your time today. It's been wonderful to talk to you. I'm sure there will be some interesting comments that follow this one, and we'll have to circle back on them early in 2020. Right. To me, it's a discussion. We just want everybody to think about it, and let's figure out how to make it better for all of our clients. Doing the right thing will certainly take time, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Chip. You're welcome. Hey, it's Sam. Thanks again for tuning in to The Light Pod, where we tell stories about people in the lighting industry, their accomplishments, and the challenges they face each and every day. One more thing, real quick. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure and head back to your podcast app to hit follow or subscribe. That's the easiest way to make sure you never miss an episode. We look forward to catching up with you again soon. Until then, cheers. Cheers.